0: can yeah.
1: how we can step more fully into our divinity so that we may serve the world in ways that only each of us is here to serve the world. And so with hearts deep in gratitude, deep in joy, we say yes and thank you for this glorious experience called life. This glorious, glorious experience called life. And so it is, and so it shall be. Amen. 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 I'm reading an excerpt from a book written by Anthony Ray Hinton. It's entitled, The Sun Does Shine. Anthony Ray Hinton spent about 34 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. And after 34 years, during that time, the truth did come out, and he was released. So this is him speaking about a man named Henry, who was also on death row, but was on death row for having committed a hate crime. Henry and Anthony Ray Hinton became friends. In Alabama, when someone dies, you bring food to the family. All day long, friends and neighbors show up bringing casseroles, pies, and other homemade grits. It's the way you show love and support. By the end of the first day of grieving, the family's fridge and table encounters are covered with food. Food is love and life and comfort, and one small way to show others you are there wanting to nourish and nurture them in their grief. As soon as the guard left Henry's cell, I passed some coffee out of my cell to Henry. The guys next to me reached out and took it from me and passed it down to the guy next to him. Up and down the road, all day long, men who might just as soon kill each other as look at each other on the streets passed their precious food items to Henry's cell. Candy bars and soup and coffee and small pieces of chocolate and even fruit. Henry's mother had just died. Anyone who had something of value, ordered from commissary or left over from a meal, passed it one to the other until it reached Henry. Nobody took it for himself. Nobody interrupted the chain of comfort as it wound its way up and down and around the row until it reached Henry. We all knew grief. We all knew sorrow. We all knew what it was like to be alone and we all were beginning to learn that you can make a family out of anyone. (coughs) Even the guards, perhaps caught up in their own humanity, or because Henry's dad had collapsed under their watch, helped pass the food to Henry. In a twisted way, they were also a part of this big, strange family on death row. They were the ones charged with our care every day, obligated to help us when we were sick, Yet also the ones who walked us to our deaths, strapped us into the chair, and then turned their backs as the warden flipped the switch to end our lives. In the end, we were all just trying to find our way.
0: So, Kim has been here before. She's like family. But if this is your first time to join us, or, you have spotty memory, unlike, you know, me, and what's his name over here? Lays. <laughs> <Lame. laughs> Ken is a story shepherd, and maybe she will explain that to us. She's also the spiritual leader at Unity Spiritual Center in Saxe, Texas. She is a keynote speaker dedicated to helping seekers create inner sanctuary and self-mastery in their lives. And she has quite quite a resume of all the different things that she does. Her entrepreneurial life spans a wide range of industries from fitness and wellness to training and development and the investigation of federal employment discrimination complaints. Hey. And a partridge in a Kim! <laughs>
1: you know, our first experience of love is from our family of origin. And depending on what kind of family you had, that gave you an interesting place of knowing about love, of learning about love. I'm a daddy's girl, and I remember those early days when I was young, waiting by the front door, the screen door with my face pressed up against the screen, waiting for my dad to drive into the driveway and come home every day. When he was out for any length of time, I would just sit and wait in the house, just waiting to hear him, so that I could be in his presence again. My father was only about six feet tall, but for me, he was larger than life. He was like a giant amongst lesser men, and I adored him. I also had a healthy fear of him. You know, then on, that was kind of the honeymoon phase because, man, when I got into my teenage years, things changed. I am very much like my father, and so we bumped heads and we fought when I was a teenager, like you would not believe. My grandmother, his mother, told me that he was just afraid of a lot of things because he saw himself in me, and of course wanted to protect me from all of the mistakes he made, and that he saw that I possibly could be making two, because I was so headstrong and so independent. And I probably did make a lot of the same mistakes, but because of these turbulent teenage years, we started to, to create some distance between us. There's a lot of tension between us. And that stayed during my 20s and into my 30s. You know, my parents had a very rocky marriage. And so as I watched them and there was drama going on between my mother and father, my concept of love got skewed, extremely skewed. The way I saw love and was able to see myself in the context of love was also skewed. It was very much attached to how others saw me, the amount of criticism I received. My family was, our language of love was sarcasm. And we pushed each other's buttons. There was a lot of passive aggressiveness going on in my home. And that's what love was for me. Love was giving hugs and kisses, but not having peace between you. That's what's known as negative peace. When there's quiet, but there's still tension between you. You're not saying the things you need to say. You're not resolving conflicts. You're not having important conversations. You're not saying what you really mean because all you're doing is walking around trying to hurt the other one before they hurt you. That's what I learned to do. That was my concept of love. that's how we deal with each other and it wasn't until i was in my 30s and 40s and became familiar with new thought principles and this concept that i am love that i am that one love that we sang about and my concept of myself and what god is and that there is an experience of god and that there is A divinity expressing in me. Until then, everything that I felt about myself, everything in my relationships was determined from others, from something outside in the world. I was always, you know how life goes, I was always being knocked over and then dictating who I was in the world from that. from Everything outside of me. And life was hard. Life is real hard when you live like that. So my father and I kept this distance from each other. Lord knows I loved him always with the deepest part of my heart, but didn't know how to express that to him. Didn't know how to have a deep, abiding relationship with him. I had to learn how to do that outside of my home. And I did learn how to do that. You I must have read every self-help book that came out in the 70s and 80s. (laughs) I did. Because I needed to know I wanted love deeply, urgently. I saw other people, other families that had this deep abiding love. It's not that we didn't have it. We didn't know how to express it. We didn't know how to be that with each other. My father and I didn't know how to be that. Even though I know now that everything he did was an act of love for me. It just came out the way he knew to express it, the way he was taught. Both my mother and father came into their marriage and then had children from a place of deep heart. But they did their best. They did their best. About 20 years ago, when I was getting married, we were planning my wedding and some drama dusted up, as it always does with my family, especially at these important occasions. You know, something like a funeral or a wedding is happening, stuff just ratchets up. It does. The emotions are high. Things are happening. Everybody's busy. And stuff just hits the fan, doesn't it? And so something occurred. My father said something to me over the phone. It had to do with my mother. And by this time, I knew that the only thing that was acceptable for me was love, unconditional love. And I said, Dad, you can't talk to me like that anymore. I'm done. I love you. And I would love to have a relationship with you, but I will not have it like this. I will not have it like this. So I am prepared to walk away from our relationship altogether. I'm tired of the drama. I'm ready to walk away. Unless we can have a real relationship. One of deep respect, unconditional love of give and take talking to each other. If there's something you really need to say to me, please say it from your heart. Stop snapping at me. Stop the sarcasm. I'm not going there anymore. And he hung up on me. About three hours later, he called me back. Weeping. And he said to me, I can't lose you. What do you need? And that started a journey for us where he learned how to speak to me. I learned how to speak to him. We were honest with our feelings. We were vulnerable with each other. And at times when he slipped, And at times when I slipped as well, one of us would apologize and say, I didn't mean for that to happen. I didn't want to say that like that. But sometimes we get into that reactionary behavior, and we go back to what we've been doing to each other for decades. And we had to relearn something else. We had to learn something else. And that was the beginning of this journey with each other that turned into this absolutely wonderful, wonderful love experience with each other for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. And by the time he passed away, he and I had this beautiful, beautiful connection with each other that I could not have foreseen could not have foreseen in my teenage years, when I was 20 and in my 30s. There was a mutual respect. There was an ease and a joy with each other. There had never been ease and joy for probably two to three decades. He had started to call me before when I would call home when I was younger. I would call and he would say, if he, if he answered the phone, that was rare. And he would say, hi, baby, how you doing? Here's your mother. We rarely talked. And we had gotten to the point where he would call me and say, hello, how are you? I love you so much. Tell me about your day. And we would share things. The real stuff of life that was important. He became my mentor. He became one of my greatest teachers. He became the person that I ran to with my problems. Sometimes I just needed to hear his voice. I would just call and he would say, Hey, baby, how are you doing? And everything would just smooth out. That's where we got to with each other. But I had to learn how to love me, to see myself in a context of love that I'd never seen myself before, and then see him the same way,
0: to be willing to
1: drop the baggage, to be willing to drop all the stuff that I had in my head about him, all the judgments that I made about him, all the things I said about him, all the ways that I kept him from me, even though my heart wanted him desperately. I had to learn how to love him and open my heart to him in whatever way that he showed up. One of the things my father taught me is that showing up to work on time is not special.
0: That's what you're supposed to
1: do. It's just what you're supposed to do. It's the bare minimum for work performance. <laughs> And I believe loving the people that are easy to love is also not so special because it is the bare minimum of love. It's a small percentage of what we're called to do. We just say if love is what we're here for and love is what we're here for. In fact, it's the most important thing That we are called to do. Here from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, Jesus, what which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, The first is: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. with all your mind and all your strength the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these then the scribe said to him you are right teacher you have truly said that he is one and beside him there is no other and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask ask him a question. For me, that is Jesus' drop-the-mic moment. No one spoke a word. Because doesn't it stop us in our tracks when he says, love your neighbor as yourself? That means everybody. Everybody. Even those you don't want to love. Even those that are hard to love. Man, my father was hard to love some days, some months, some years. I didn't go home for a long time after graduating from college. At one point, my mother called me and she said, you are making the rest of us suffer for what you and your father are going through. I want you to come home. He was hard to love. And I know I was hard to love. I know I was we always keep looking at the other person saying you are hard to love and we don't love like we should. Like we're called to love if you don't like the word should. Jesus unequivocally said love your neighbor as yourself and there are no qualifiers in there. Not if it's easy, not if they agree with you, not if you like them, not if they come from the same place you do. Love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. Not as you would love yourself, not as you think you should love, not as, there's just love as yourself. That's it. Love them as if they are you. You are one with that person, with each and every person, and they deserve your love. Love God first, love each other. So that's there's no if, love is what we're here for. Love is what you are here for. And it does stop us in our tracks when we think about loving everyone, because we don't want to man, it's hard. It's work. It takes courage. It takes opening your mind, opening your heart in ways that you never wanted to, never thought you could. I discovered a capacity to love myself and others, love my father, in ways I could not have imagined. I just wanted to see him. As another soul who deserved love as my neighbor not as the man who pushed me to higher heights my father always wanted excellence always 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 and so I was pushed he pushed me relentlessly through school to get straight A's I know he just wanted me to be the best that I could be I know he saw great things for me I didn't know that as a teenager. All I knew was I wanted him to stop pushing me. Stop pushing me, Dad. Why isn't this good enough? I didn't know that he saw things in me that I could not see in myself. And he just wanted to bring that out. And he did it in the way that he knew how to do. And it took me being in my 30s and 40s before I could see that that all of those were acts of love, calls for love. It's just love. And sometimes we are called to open ourselves up in courageous new ways. In the story of the Samaritan has been beaten and left on the road. Samaritans were reviled. And a Samaritan stopped and helped someone that a priest stepped over and didn't have time to help. Another person who's considered of a priestly class, stepped over that same person beaten on the side of the road. And it was the one who was reviled who took the Samaritan to an inn and had him cared for and paid the innkeeper for him to have room and board and said, I must leave and I'll come back and I'll take care of the bill. Please take care of this person for me. And Jesus said, that's how I expect you to love. Jesus hung out with people he wasn't supposed to hang out with. Prostitutes, thieves, the unclean. Because he loved his neighbor as himself. That's what we're called to do. And I think we're in a time and an era we are called to love in ways that are courageous we have so many judgments about everyone else you don't vote the right way you don't think the same way you don't treat me like I want you to treat me you don't see me how I want you to see me you don't welcome me how you want I want to be welcomed you don't like my friends you tell me what to do you didn't do this when I was growing up you didn't give me that all of these judgments and none of it matters. None of it matters when we are called to love. We're going to look beyond that. Look with divine eyes at each and every other person. Look at ourselves and everyone else with the eyes of love. And to express that love in this life. Yes, that is what we're called to. jesus said that there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for your friends even that he said that you want to give your life for someone else man that's a tall order that's why we stop in our tracks that's why that's a drop the mic moment because it stops us and we go oh. Would I? I've looked at my husband some days and say, You know, I love you. But if we both have to get out of a burning building, I'm probably running first. <laughs> I love you dearly. I will mourn for years.
0: <laughs>
1: if there's a bear chasing us, honey, I'm going to try to run. Divine beings, everything that we are asked to be to do in that passage, we are capable of doing. We are capable of great, great love. We are capable of expansiveness that we can't imagine in this moment. And yet, sometimes in life we bump up against something that requires us to expand. Our definition of ourselves and our definition of love. And aren't we hit with those opportunities just about every single day now? We want to pat ourselves on the back because we have tolerance. I think Jesus would say it's not enough to be tolerant of others, that is not love. It's a beginning we're on the journey when my mother asked me to come home I learned how to tolerate my father I'm sure he was tolerating me at the same time that I wanted him desperately that I just wanted him to hold me and say I look me in the eye and say I love you and we got to that place in the 10 to 15 years before he died. We got to that place. That's what I always wanted. That's what was my, that was my heart's desire. And I know it was his because in the last days we spent together before he died, we got to have time together that we'll treasure like no other day. He's been gone 12 years. I can hardly believe it. And there are days when I still hear him, still hear him guiding me, coaching me, saying, I love you, holding me close. I believe he's here right now listening to my voice. I believe he's here loving me, smiling at me, knowing that this kind of moment was possible for me and for all of us together. That's the kind of love that is possible. That's the kind of journey that is possible for the people in your life right now that you are finding hard to love. Man, there's a gift waiting for you that is bigger than you could dream in this moment. If we will only open ourselves, if we will only be that love that we are called to be, if we will only be that love that we are called to be. I know. each each and every one of you is capable of great, great, great love with every sentient being on this planet. We need to look beyond the surface, the stuff that doesn't matter and get to the core, that love that we are deep inside, the love that we express Naturally, that we are, that we're born with before you ever showed up on this planet. In physical manifestation, you were conceived as love. Love, pure love, and each and every person is also. This man on death row loved a white supremacist who committed a hate crime. Who when he told his father, who taught him how to help hate, that he was now friends with a black man fought him. They got into a physical altercation because he said, I didn't bring you up like that. But Henry had become a changed man. his relationship with Anthony Reagan on death row probably one of the hardest places to love one man found love. that's what we're capable of that's what we're capable of so I challenge you today to expand your definition of love and you mm-hmm in that context of love. I challenge you today to be brave, loving everyone. To show up as love with everyone. Show up as love because that's who you are. And express it in each and every blessed moment. For therein is the kingdom of God. Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. Let's take this into meditation. Take a deep breath with me. Breathing in love in this moment. Breathing in love. Perhaps it's not the love that you were taught in your of years. Perhaps it's an expansion of the love that you have been expressing the last few years, the last few moments, perhaps this morning. But we are love. We are unique expressions of the divine. And that means we are indeed capable of great love. And we have only to step forward each day one moment after each moment in our divinity, in the space of one love. So that every step that we take in this life is a step on holy ground. And we spread that holiness, that love, with everyone that we meet. Every person that we may encounter on social media, everyone that we see on the news, on TV. People that we pass on the street, whether we're driving or walking. Our own families. The people that are nearest. our partners, our children, our parents, colleagues, coworkers, the person behind us in the grocery line, the customer service rep on the phone, just cut you off in traffic. Everyone, 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 we are called to love. <clears throat> we are called to be that love and expression in each moment with each other. And yes, in this moment, we open our hearts so that we can see each person as that love. We let go of all judgment. We let go of the baggage. We let go of the hurt. We let go of the pain. Our sadness, we let go of betrayal, we let go of everything that we need to let go of, and just open ourselves to love. Love. And so it is, and so it shall be. Amen.